make a uh, comment that I'm, I'm super proud of myself. I'm feeling, on this first Christmas, I'm feeling a little uh, festive, and I actually have a Christmas tree in my sermon graphic. I figured I'd get some flowers for that one. Gingerbread cookie, is that up in there? I don't know what's all up in there. There's a rocking horse up there. But hey, um, so some of my favorite memories of Christmas growing up around here was uh, loading up in Mom's Suburban and driving out to West Knoxville and looking at all the, um, you know, the mansions out there, the Christmas lots. That's one of my favorite memories growing up. It was there was like there were so many lights that it lit up the darkness of the night. We'd be like when you're driving through the through the when you're driving through these communities, you didn't you you did you couldn't tell that there was darkness fighting against the light. It was so bright. And and when I think about Christmas, I, I often think about the ultimate light entering the world. You know, it's Christmas time. We're celebrating the birth of our Savior into the world. This light has come. And that's what I think about at Christmas. And it's this, it's this light that enter, that's entering in, into the, this light that entered the world that pushes back the darkness in our life. And I don't know if you noticed that, I don't know if you've been paying attention any to what's going on in culture, but there's a lot of darkness right now that needs a little bit of light poured into it. And, but see, many of us are, have found ourselves in this season of light because we've accepted this light. We've become we've become followers of Jesus, and we have this light in us. But there's still a part of us that seems to be shrouded in darkness. There's a part of us that seem that seems to be there's areas in our lives, and one guy describes them as rooms. Right? There's rooms of our of our of our souls that are that the enemy is still uh, that is still that is still covered by. We've given permission for darkness to be there and to stay there. Some of us are still shrouded in the darkness of shame, the darkness of the darkness of guilt, the dark, the uh, and the, uh, the darkness of our past. It's like it seems like we just can't get away from it. Like we were believers in Jesus, but it just seems like we just can't get away. But I'm 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 here to proclaim some good news to you this morning. And I'm going to proclaim over you what the words found in Matthew four eighteen that says this: If you who who spend your days shrouded in darkness can now say, "We have seen a brilliant light." Light has come. Light has come to light up the darkness. And where light enters the room, darkness has to flee. And those who live in dark in the dark shadow land of death can now say the dawning light arises on us. From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim the message with these words. Keep turning away from your sins. Keep turning away from the darkness that you've allowed in your life. And come back to God. For heaven's kingdom realm is now accessible. It's accessible. What, you know, we often pray that prayer on earth as it is in heaven. That your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means there's no darkness in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. That we can have that here if we will allow it. For it was Jesus who said this. John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am, I am light to the world. And those who embrace me will experience life-giving light. And they will never walk in darkness. They will never Walk in darkness. Friend, if you've been touched by the one who spoke light into creation, you don't have to walk in darkness of your past. You don't have to walk in the darkness of your pain. You are free. You can choose light. Don't buy into the enemy's trap. 
is he'll try to keep you in that shame, keep you in that guilt. And, and we have a God who says you're not guilty of that anymore. You're not guilty of that anymore. And that's why I love the title for today, Tis the Season to Cast Out Darkness. Tis the Season to Cast Out Darkness. So the question becomes, how do we cast out darkness? How do we get rid of the darkness in our lives? And there's only two ways. Derek, you said there's only one way. It's Jesus. Yes. Hang with me. Hang with me for a minute. Two ways that we do that. I haven't decided if I'm hot or cold yet, so we may going to do this over and over. How do we overcome this darkness? How do we cast out this darkness? It's Revelations 12, 11. It starts out by saying, and they have conquered him by the what? Blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. For it is this sacrifice that Christ gives us freedom and salvation. And freedom is more than freedom of just the penalty of sin, but you have true freedom from the, from the shame and the guilt that, that's held on by the, uh, held on to our past. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to keep you in that. But here's, here's the good news, is that the blood covers everything. The sacrifice of Christ made on the cross covers everything. Romans 3, verses 21 and 22 says this, but now, independent of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that, this, that the scriptures prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe in him receive the gift, but there is really no difference between us. For we, for we all have sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Yet through his, through his powerful declaration of acquittal, that means free of charge. You're free from the penalty of it and, 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 and anything that comes along with it that's attached to it. it. There's a powerful declaration of acquittal. God freely gives away his righteousness or right standing before him. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. Jesus' God-given destiny was to, to be the sacrifice to take away sin. And now he, he is our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. We come to him for mercy, for God has made a provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the second, you go back, uh, faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. This is the perfect demonstration of God's justice because until now he had been so patient, he, he had been so patient holding back uh, his justice out of his tolerance for us. So he covered over the sins of those who lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice. And when this season of tolerance came to an end, there was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness and still be true to both his justice and his mercy. And that is to offer up his own son. And now because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. Where then? Is there room for boasting? Do our works bring God's acceptance? Not at all. It, is, it, it, it was not our works of keeping the law, but our faith in his finished work. In our can't, he did. In our can't, he did. But our faith is in his finished work that makes us right with God. So our conclusion is this. God's wonderful declaration, God's wonderful declaration that we are righteous in his eyes can only come when we put our faith in Christ, not in keeping the law. You cannot clean yourself up, but the blood of the Lamb can. The blood of the Lamb can.
Then a little bit later, Paul would write to us in Romans 8, 31 and 33, it says this. What does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who could ever stand against us. For God has proven his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen and loved to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued this final verdict over them, not guilty. That's what the blood does. It cleanses us. It makes us his sons and daughters. It makes us whole before a holy God. So we first overcome darkness by accepting Christ's sacrifice, accepting the salvation it offers. And then there's a second part. There's a second part to this. Revelation 12, 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, and what? By the word of their testimony. They love not their lives, even unto death. You've overcome darkness. You've overcome the dark one. You've overcome the evil one. By the blood of the Lamb, salvation, and the word of your testimony. That's how you overcome. We can be saved. We can be made right before God. But we will never truly be free until we share what he has, he has brought us from. Never truly be free until we share what Christ has brought us from. You can be freed from the penalty of your darkness and of your darkness and salvation, but to defeat the hold of darkness in your life, to defeat Satan's attack on your life with the shame and the guilt, to defeat the enemy's hold on your life, to cast out, to cast darkness out, you have to share your testimony. To defeat the enemy's hold on your life, you have to share your testimony. You have to share your testimony. There's no other way. No other way. And so I want to share with you a simple way to cast out darkness in your life. You ready? In John 9-1, it starts by saying this. Afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own the sin of his parents. And Jesus answered, neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. I don't know about y'all, but anytime God rescues somebody, no matter how bad it is, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. While I'm with you, it's daytime, and we must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines. There is coming a dark night when no one will be able to wait. As long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. Now I'm going to pause right here just for a second. Scripture is clear that now that light lives inside of us. And the only way to pierce the world's darkness is to let that light shine from us. To let Christ shine from us by what he has done in our lives, how he has overcome things in our life. Verse 6 says, Then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with saliva. And I'm going to pause again right there. And probably for years, this man's heard people spit at his feet. Because he was a blind man. He would, that's, that was like, that's the reason the disciples asked the question they had in that culture. If you were blind or had some sort of physical ailment, 
it was a punishment from God from either because of your sin or somebody else's sin. So people viewed you as a low life, slum. So I can just imagine him hearing Jesus spit on the ground. Like, oh, well, there's another God just tossing me to the wind. You know what I'm saying? Another God judging me. It says that he made, he made clay with the saliva. Then he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay. And he said to the blind man, Now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Salon. Is there, even though salvation is of the Lord, healing is of the Lord, there's still a part of you that needs to walk away and wipe off some things, get rid of some things in your own life. Not put ourselves in situations that would cause us to turn back to that darkness. There's some things that we, we have to put some feet on the ground sometimes to turn and walk away from the things that, that lead us into darkness. So he said to the blind man, Now go wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Salome. So he went and washed his face. As he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. You just imagine being that dude for a minute. You've been blind your whole life. Not knowing that green looked like green. Not knowing that tree looked like that. Not knowing what your mama's face or daddy's face looked like. And all of a sudden, you see. I remember Zane was not doing very well in school back when we lived up in Granger County. And, uh, we got word that maybe we, we should go get his eyes checked. So we drove down to big old Knoxville and went to Vision Works because that's where everybody goes, you know. I remember him walking out with his new pair of glasses on his face, him going, he, him going I can see the leaves. I'm like, I am so sorry, son. <laughs> I have failed you as a father. <laughs> it's like one of those, like you're excited for him, but you like you feel horrible as a dad because you're like, I'm sorry, I didn't know that you could not see. And you go and buy my ice cream as an apology. And the rest is history. Yeah. Can you imagine being in for a minute just being like seeing things for the first time? Having that childlike amazement. Wanting some people to celebrate with him. God has healed them. Or this guy healed them. Then he went and washed his face and he came back and he could see for the first time in his life. This caused quite a stir among the people of the neighborhood. Because everybody knows, you know, you know, everybody knows your reputation, right? Everybody knows your reputation. Everybody knows your story. Everybody knew him. They knew he was a beggar. They noticed the blind beggar was now seen. They began to say to one another, Isn't this the blind man who once sat and begged? Some said, Nah, it can't be him. Others said, but it looks just like him. It has to be him. All the while, the man kept insisting, I'm the man who was blind. I was the man who was blind. And finally, they asked him, what has happened to you? And he replied, I met the man named Jesus. Because when, you, when Jesus enters the room, there are accessibility. I met a man named Jesus. He rubbed clay on my eyes and said, go to the pool named Siloam. Wash. So I went, and while I was washing the clay from my eyes, I began to see for the very first time ever. So the people of the neighborhood inquired, So where is this man? Because I have no idea. The man replied, So the people marched him over to the Pharisees, because they're fair, you see. That's why the Sunday schools come back every time I read the word Pharisee. 
So the people marched him over to the Pharisees to speak with them. Because who else are they going to go talk to and get asked questions and get the load down on? Is this theologically, doctrinally correct? Can this really happen? Blah, blah, blah. And they were, they were concerned because the miracle Jesus performed by making clay with his saliva and anointing the man's eyes happened on Sabbath day, a day that no one was allowed to work. They were more concerned about a tradition being broken than a man being healed. May we never get that religious spirit on us. May we never get that traditional spirit in us. May we celebrate even if it's even if we don't understand it, even if we don't get it, even if it goes against everything that we were ever taught or believed. May we just celebrate a child in the Then the Pharisees asked the man, How did you have your sight restored? And he replied, A man anointed my eyes with clay and I and I washed, and now I could see for the first time in my life. How many times am I going to have to tell this story? We ought to get it. Then an argument broke out, because that's what church people do. An argument broke out among the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some said, this man who performed this healing is clearly not from God. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath, because they forgot the Sabbath wasn't made for God. It was made for man. Then an argument broke out among the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some said this man who performed this uh, healing is clearly not from God. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. Another said, if Jesus is just an ordinary sinner, how could he perform a miracle like that? Some are starting to get it, right? This prompted them to turn on the man healed of blindness, putting him on the spot in front of them all, demanding an answer. Did he not just give them an answer? <laughs> and they asked, who do you say he is? This man who opened your blind eyes. He's a prophet of God? The man replied. Still refusing to believe that the man had been healed and was truly blind from birth, the Jewish leaders called for the man's parents to be brought to them. So they asked his parents, Is this your son? Yes, they answered. Was he really born blind? Yes, he was. They replied. So they pressed his parents to answer. Then how is it that he's now seeing? They're like, we have no idea. <laughs> they answered. We don't know what happened to our son. Ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. And this next verse kind of gives a little insight of why they didn't want to get in the middle of this. It says this. Now the parents were obviously intimidated by the Jewish religious leaders for they had already announced to the people that if anyone publicly confessed Jesus as the Messiah they would be communicated. That's why the parents were like, I don't want to get in the middle of this. So they threw their son under the bus. <laughs> That's why they told him, ask him, he's a mature adult, he can speak for himself. So verse 24, so once again, they summoned the man who was healed of blindness and said to him, Swear to God to tell us the truth. This is them saying, This is this is like a court, like a, like they're swearing him in. This isn't just uh us flippantly saying, I swear to God, this is true. You know what I'm saying? This is he is entering into a legal binding statement here. Swear to God to tell us the truth. 
we know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? The healed man replied, I have no idea what kind of man he is. Now, this is just him saying, I don't have a doctrine to back this stuff. I don't have theology to back this up. In fact, I don't even know what you're talking about because you wouldn't allow me to the temple because you thought I was gone. And instead of helping me like you're supposed to do, you kept me on the outskirts of the temple and I, and I was having to beg you for the people coming in here to give me money so I could even eat. So I don't know anything about this doctrine or theology or any of that stuff because I was never allowed to come in here to hear your teaching. And this was his testimony. It's real simple. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see for the first time in my life. Before I met Jesus, I was a blind beggar living my life in darkness. And after Jesus, I can see clearly for the first time. That's a testimony. It's simple. Before Christ, I was this. And after Christ, I am this. Before Christ, I carried the shame of what was done to me, which led to more shame and more shame and more shame. But when Jesus interjected light into that situation in my life, I was set free. I didn't carry that shame anymore. Simple. Before Christ, I was this. And after I met Christ, I'm this. You overcome darkness by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. I was carrying this, and now I have this. That's all your testimony has to be. That's the only way you're going to overcome darkness in your life. Listen, the devil can't hear what you're thinking. He can only hear what you're speaking. And he'll keep you in darkness until you speak it. This isn't word of faith stuff. Don't, don't get messed up on that. Not at all. But to fight back darkness, you have to proclaim it with your mouth. Simple. All I know is that I was blind before I met this man, Jesus. And now I can see for the first time in my life. But I'm going to read the rest of the story. Is that cool? But what did he do to you? How did he heal you? And the man responded, I told you once and you didn't listen. You got them eyes. He also got some nerve now. I told you once and you didn't listen. Why do you make me repeat it? I love this. Are you willing to be his followers too? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, we'll stay. This angered the Jewish leaders. They heaped insults on him because that's what religious people do. We can tell you're one of his followers. Now we know it. This has all just been a one big show. Here's the crazy thing. For men who are supposed to be religious leaders of their community, the ones who are followers of God, the ones who are to seek God above everything else. This was their statement. We, we are true followers of who? Moses. 
Well, we know that God spoke to Moses directly. But as for this one, we don't know where he comes from. Well, the guy said, well, what a surprise this is, the man said. You don't even know where he comes from, but he healed my eyes and now I can see. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but only to godly people who do his will. Yet who has ever heard of a man born blind that was healed and given his eyesight for the very first time? I tell you, if this man isn't from God, he wouldn't be able to heal me like he has. Some of the Jewish leaders were enraged and said, Just who do you think you are to lecture us? We were, you were born blind, filthy sinner. They threw the man out of the street. When Jesus learned they had thrown him out, he went to find him and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? The man who was the man who was blind, with blind eyes were, the man whose blind eyes were healed answered, Who is he, Master? Tell me so that I can place all my faith in him. The reason you're pulled out of darkness is so your faith will rest on him and not your own ability. You're looking right at him. But with his eyes that was just that were just healed a couple hours before, he's seeing the person that killed him for the first time. This is kind of, this kind of made me think for a little bit of sometimes we've been praying for miracles, we've been praying for things to leave us, and we just can't see it happening. You with me? We can't see God moving in our lives. It feels like God, you're not answering my prayers. Here's the thing, even in our blindness, he is still working on our behalf. This man was healed before he ever saw the place. You're looking right at him. He speaks with you. It's me, the one in front of you now. Then the man threw himself at his, at his feet and worshiped Jesus and said, Lord, I believe. Many of us in this room, many of us that will listen to this online later, we have a crazy God story that God's done something in our lives. We know that we've been set free, but we haven't spoken it out. And there's still a part of us that feels trapped in that. Trust me, for 20-something years, I held in the fact that I was raped. I get it. And that shame, that darkness was still had a hold of parts of my soul. It wasn't until I spoke it out that I could sit across the table from that person and say, I forgive you. Or I could start living my life free, really. Do not keep your story to yourself. You are the light on a hill, a city that cannot be hidden. If you want to overcome darkness in your life, if you want to cast darkness out of your life, the only way you can do it by the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony, of your testimony. Dear God, we want to give you thanks. In many ways, all of us in this room once were blind and now we see. May we have the courage like this blind man to stand and proclaim what you set us free from. 
We thank you for the cross. The sacrifice to give us the freedom from the penalty of our sin. Now I'm praying that you give us the courage to free ourselves from the guilt and the shame of our sin. May we not let the enemy have a stronghold in our lives anymore. May those dark places of our souls be brought to light. May this be a season where the true light lights up every part of our souls. God, you have called us to be a light in our community. So I pray you give us the strength to be a light in our community. And I pray all this in your name.